It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to Staples. Hi, Staples guy. I need school supplies for my kids, and I can't spend a lot. With Staples 110% price match guarantee for back to school find an item for less and we'll match why is that playing Welcome to Staples. Hi, Staples guy. I need school supplies for my kids, and I can't spend a lot. With Staples 110% price match guarantee for back to school, find an item for less, and we'll match the price and give you 10% of the difference. So I'll get the lowest price on backpacks? Yes. Notebooks? Mm-hmm. Calculators? You bet. Even? Yep. Nice. Make low prices happen. Make 110% ready happen. Staples. Make more happen. Price match plus the 10% difference discount valid at checkout for items from retailers operating online and retail stores or products sold and shipped by Amazon. Valid through 919.15. See store or staples.com for details. Welcome to Writer's Tricks of the Trade. I'm Morgan St. James, and tonight's topic is reviews, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Authors need them, but sometimes the reviews are less than glowing. And whether deserved or not, those one- and two-star reviews are like a punch to the gut, and we'll be discussing that in depth tonight, as well as a few easy techniques for giving reviews yourself. Uh, I'm here with Dennis N. Griffin, and hopefully our other host, Eric James Miller, is going to join us shortly. And we have quite a bit to say about the spectrum of reviews you're likely to get as a published author. So let's get going. Like you and many of our listeners, I'm an, uh, uh, <coughs> excuse me. I'm an author first and foremost, at least in my heart. When I put something out into the world, it's my baby. The last thing I want to hear is that it's bad or that it's defective. Parents aren't immune from hearing something negative about their kid, and neither are writers. Like all of us, I dread getting a bad review, especially with a new release. As a writer who has belonged to several different writers groups over the years and attended dozens of writing conferences, I've come to analyze the reason someone blasted your book. The fact is, if you're a writer and your work gets published, bad reviews are inevitable. They hurt. They hurt like hell sometimes. Those of us who have gotten bad reviews, justly or unjustly, know it can be traumatic. Someone has torn your work to pieces. It's hard to ignore. It's even harder not to fixate on or resist the urge to find a form to argue with the negative reviewer. Retreating into that secret cave you know about up in the mountains and vowing never to come back out isn't the answer. 
<laughs> you said that, Jenny. <laughs> Neither is getting defensive about it. It's not just about sucking it up and moving on either. You know, more often than not, a bad review needs to be looked at maybe as an opportunity, an opportunity to ask and answer and learn from asking a simple question. But why do you suppose that is? Well, we've all been there, Morgan. Now, picture your worst nightmare has come true. The book you thought would be a smash hit got a bad review. Does that mean the world will come crashing down around you? Eh, maybe yes, maybe no. You do have to acknowledge the possibility that the reviewer's comments were well-deserved, in which case it may be something for you to heed for your next book or even a revision of the one in question, if possible. Before you go bonkers, though, as the author said, and yourself this question, how many good reviews have I gotten versus bad ones? Then put on your reviewer's hat. Was your book edited well? Did the plot hold together? Was the writing tight? Did you nail your genre? And more important, are you writing about something people want to read? These are many factors that might come to light when a reviewer or reader attacks your work. You know, that's absolutely right, Denny. One of the first things to remember is to be objective. Yeah, sometimes that might be really, really hard, just as getting a great review is an emotional shot in the arm that makes you feel like a literary genius. A bad review is an emotional kick in the pants that can bring you to your knees. But, you know, objectivity is really the key. A while back, there was a rash of posts on Facebook about a book that was self-published on Smashwords. It got a bad review and set off a firestorm of comments from the author's Facebook uh, friends and retaliation by the author herself. She was really very angry. But in light of other independent reviews that followed, it's probably safe to say the initial reviewer's critique was pretty much spot on. The angry author really could have learned a lot from what was said if she'd only kept an open mind. But she didn't. She circled the wagons, which is even less productive than hanging out in that secret cave up in the mountains for a week or two. <laughs> Did you see that Facebook exchange? As a matter of fact, I didn't. you want to fill us in on uh, what exactly yeah. you yeah, well, you know what happened is I actually decided to check it out to see if the attack was unwarranted. And among some of the other reasons for giving the book a two-star, the reviewer pointed out the spelling and grammatical errors come up so quickly that especially in the first several chapters, it's difficult to get into the book without being jarred back to reality as you attempt to unravel what the author actually meant. Well, we've all seen books like that. And most of us will probably agree that atrocious spelling and grammar, alone or together, is a real turnoff. You know, in fact, as a writer, you might often find yourself editing other authors' works as you read. When you do, sometimes that takes you out of the story unless the edits pop into your head automatically while you read. I know that happens to me a lot. How about you, Denny? Yes, it, it does, as a matter of fact. It, it, 
Even though I don't want to do it, you just can't help yourself. <laughs> yeah, you find yourself doing it automatically. I mean, you're not even reading what's there once you're into a book where the editing is really something that had to be, excuse me, something that had to be done. And, you know, I just find myself automatically filling in all those spaces or changing tenses or whatever it is. So anyway, to be fair, I previewed the first 20% of the book in question, which is something that you can do on Smashword books or Kindle books. And quite frankly, I didn't find a lot of spelling errors. Um, maybe they were corrected in a subsequent edit. But there were an overwhelming number of grammatical errors. And as for editing, well, it really needed tightening and a good going over to eliminate sentences like this one. She carried her stocky build carefully back down the stairs. I mean, what did she really pick up? Her stocky build implies she literally picked up her own body while placing her feet on the stair treads. <laughs> <laughs> now, you said, uh, Morgan, that the writer got very hostile on Facebook. And now, as far as I'm concerned, that's a big mistake. Uh, if you simply get hostile and tell yourself the reviewer is stupid, you're never going to consider whether or not the reviewer could have actually been right. And I've gotten good reviews, and my, excuse me, not so good reviews, and my feelings were hurt. But after getting a little angry, I knew I had to be objective, analyze what the reviewer said and why. When I did that, I did find some things that I take into consideration now as I work on my current novels. However, in one case, I could see that the reviewer was being overcritical for some unknown reason and maybe hadn't even read my book because some of the complaints had nothing to do with the actual book. So let's go back now to the book you're referring to, Morgan. You said that uh, you read the first 20%. Where do you think editing would have helped? Well, quite frankly, and I hate to say this, but she really would have lost me right in the beginning, the way it was written. So I asked myself, how many pages can an author dedicate to discussing a fish dinner? Now, I know that sounds <laughs> weird, but in this case, she filled several opening pages with a boring conversation about nothing more than a fish dinner. And I kept waiting for the where's I can't put this book down opening. But you know what, Denny? It never came. And the sad part is I could see the bones of a decent book, but they were buried in repetitive narrative and glaring grammatical errors. Now, you asked me about if I were editing. If I were editing, my suggestion would have been to boil the opening down to a few paragraphs. I mean, after all, what was it? It was a fish dinner. And get on with the gist of the story, or actually even dump that whole scene, unless it was going to be critical to the story later on, maybe begin at a chapter further into the book. Uh, one of the things you need to remember as a writer is to exercise your ability to pull the reader into your world. And I think when an author receives a bad review, maybe they ask themselves two questions. Do the comments absolutely mean the book wasn't good? After all, maybe it was simply not that reviewer's thing. And here's one you might not have considered. Did the reviewer have a personal memory or challenge that was activated by the book? And therefore, they disliked it immediately because of that. Do you have some comments on that? Well, yes, I think you're 100% right. Uh, you need to consider all these things and try 
try to get in the reviewer's head, I guess, might be, uh, might be a, a good way to describe it. If you can, now obviously if you don't know the reviewer personally, if you haven't dealt with him before, <clears throat> you have to make certain guesses or surmises as to what might have happened. But I think in any case where you get a review and the indications are uh, from the reviewer's comments that they either didn't understand the book, which may or may not be the author's fault, or that they just have a, an issue maybe with the subject matter or with the, uh, the plot or the characters or so forth, you have to take all that into consideration. Yeah, well, you know, here's something that you really shouldn't do very often. But sometimes if you're curious about what triggered certain comments, and if it's a reader review that has contact information, you might even consider contacting that person, of course, in a very polite manner, and tell them you appreciate that people have preferences and their own points of view, and then cite the comment you're curious about and ask whether they'd mind telling you why the book affected them that way. You know, approaching it that way could produce some pretty straightforward answers and give you a perfect understanding and um, appreciation of their personal preferences or experience that might have generated those comments when they gave you a low-rated review. Well, i got to tell you, Morgan, speaking of bad reviews, <laughs> the first really bad review I received was from my book, The Battle for Las Vegas. Now, I'd been doing pretty well on reviews up until that point, four and five stars, and then this one one star showed up. And I got to tell you, when I first, that was on Amazon, and when I first read it, I was absolutely crushed. When it, I just saw the one star. I didn't even read the review yet, but when I saw one star, my heart sank, and I, I was very, very uh, upset. And then I became confused when I read the review itself. It made no sense. And this is one of those cases where it appeared to me the reviewer may not have even read my book. So I was shocked, confused, and all that turned to anger. And I called Amazon and requested the review be removed. <coughs> Excuse me. And I stated my reasons. And the representative I spoke with at Amazon, in fact, read the review with me. And she agreed. She, she thought the, the review made no sense and was... Uh, really out of place. So she promised me that it would be deleted within 24 hours. Now, a little calmer, I decided to check other reviews by that particular individual. Over 20 had been posted, and the best was a three-star. Most were one or, two, one or two. As in my case, those reviews were completely at odds with the comments of other readers. Now, I haven't requested a review be removed since, because I've come to realize there are people out there who may have a personal vendetta against the author or trolls who lurk and get their kicks by bad-mouthing someone's work for no valid reason. I believe legitimate readers will see those types of reviews and take them for what they are. So I pretty much ignore them now. However, when I do get a negative review that appears to be well thought out, I try to understand the reviewer's perspective, and if I can learn... Uh, from any valid points they make, that's fine. I figure that's to my benefit. Yeah, you know, those are my feelings exactly. And I, it's funny that you mentioned going back and finding the reviews that this person had done and that they'd never given more than a three-star. Boy, I had one that was a scathing review, 
And same kind of thing. I'd had all of four and five stars, and all of a sudden, here's this one-star scathing review, almost like the reviewer had a vendetta against me. And I did go and check reviews. Same kind of thing. I wonder if we have the same reviewer. And I saw, you know, the identical thing you did, that they were always slow. But I decided to go another step further. And I did one of my polite queries. And this person came back at me and said, listen, I am the toughest reviewer in my book club. And I am proud of the fact that I rarely give anything over a two-star. And I thought, God, what a horrible attitude. You know, they could defer people who would really enjoy the book from reading it unless, like you say, you know, you look at the other reviews and say, hey, what's this person about? But I'm going to go back to one of mine. Um, I had contacted another woman about my book, Betrayed, and which is the story based on things that really happen, but it's fiction. And it's about a kidnapping and a rape and, and what happens to the woman afterwards and how she gets her life together, et cetera, et cetera. You can find it on Amazon if you want to find out more about it. Anyway, all the reviews for it were four and five star. And this woman was very upfront. And what she wrote back to me is, I just don't like sad stories. And she said, I felt so sorry for Laurel and really hated two of the characters. Well, that was interesting because everything she told me in her answer to my email actually reflected the emotions I'd been trying to touch in the reader. They were supposed to hate the cruel kidnappers. They were supposed to identify with Laurel and want to protect her. And above all, they had to hate the wicked mother-in-law. So in a way, her closing comment was actually a compliment. And then she wrapped it up by saying, although she didn't like sad books, it was well-written and kept her turning the pages, and she would read the sequel. Well, the fact that she would read the sequel made me realize that this bad review wasn't really bad at all, in the sense of the word. Apparently, I'd touched her deeply. And in my mind, her three-star rapidly became a five-star because the book did everything I had designed it and wanted it to. Well, so I think, Morgan, I, I believe that we agree on this, that looking for a positive in a bad review is one strategy to deal with a, with a bad review. Now, the question is, though, we're, we've been talking about a bad review, and maybe you maybe you follow up like you did in, in your case, or maybe uh, you you look at the review, it doesn't make any sense to you, and you figure it's somebody that's uh, maybe misunderstood or isn't quite with it. But what if you start seeing multiple bad reviews, and they are citing the same problem? Now, that certainly could mean, unless there's some kind of conspiracy against you, uh, <laughs> it, it, yeah, it, it could mean there's a valid point that you're overlooking. And I think then, when you start when you start seeing multiple negative reviews with the same general comments, I think then you have to go back and take a second look, and you can't just dismiss them as all being crackpots or uh, or that type of thing. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do. You know, you have to be sure to consider the reviewers' comments from every angle. And and another thing is, did they give examples of why they gave a bad review? Maybe they were confused by something that happened, let's say, in Chapter 80. But you think you clearly set it up in Chapter 30. 
The first question might be yeah. to ask yourself why you have 80 chapters in your book. <laughs> <laughs> you know, unless they're all really small, are you writing War and Peace? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or you might ask yourself, say, I mean, say it is valid. You know, a lot of books have like 80, 90 chapters, and, and the chapters are short. So then you have to ask yourself, why are there 50 chapters in between the two related scenes? You know what the book is about, but is your reader going to remember all of that? Maybe you needed to, you know, tickle that again somewhere in between in those 50 chapters. So if you try to understand their comment from a reader's point of view rather than from a writer's point of view, you may end up, although reluctantly, agreeing with them. And if you can learn something from the future for a bad review, believe me, it will improve your writing from, because from that point on, you'll be on the alert. I don't know about you, Denny, but when I have received something in a review, and it doesn't even necessarily be a bad review. You know, sometimes it's a good review, but it also points out a point. And then when something like that happens, I know when I'm writing in the future, that little voice is echoing in my head. It's made an impression on me. Absolutely, and and that's what you've got to do. I think is is learn from any mistakes that you may have made, uh, things that need to be looked at a second time by you, and uh, and benefit or profit from somebody pointing that out to you. And there are are several things that can be pointed out in a bad review. For example, you might use a certain word too often, and your editor didn't catch it you or your editor. Maybe you self-published the book and didn't have an editor at all, at all and really needed one. That review, the one that initially had you so upset, could tell you that perhaps an editor would be a worthwhile investment. They always are, by the way. And maybe your situation seems too much a stretch of reality, and in rereading, guided by the reviewer's remarks, you allowed yourself to see that. On the other hand, if after an honest evaluation you can't find the flaws that the reviewer cited, move on. You can't dwell on that and uh, and let it drive you bonkers or affect your writing or maybe even your overall attitude. So you need to be able to shake off the bad. And Bella uh, Morgan, our book, La Bella Mafia, I, I, yes. now you and I both know there were some some issues there with reviewers who actually had a conspiracy. They had a campaign going uh, to, to denigrate that work. And oh, that's right. Was, uh, that's right. Yeah. They were out personal. to torpedo it for their own personal and, reasons. Absolutely. And uh, you and I didn't know these people personally, but what we found out, it was really a, a very annoying and, and frustrating situation. And I have written some of my organized crime books. The subjects of those books, because of who they are, have enemies. And some of those enemies would write reviews, negative reviews. And, uh, uh, you know, we, uh, the subject of the book and I would check and do so, a lot of research and find out who actually the reviewer was, because, of course, they all use phony names and so forth. But, <laughs> of course. Uh, but, uh, you know, and those reviews were totally baseless. It, was, it had nothing to do with the writing or the story. 
it had to do with personal animosity by the reviewer against the subject of the book. And yeah, and you know, sometimes it's jealousy, had... too. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, Absolutely. like, you know, you mentioned La Bella Mafia. Um, this is something, I mean, not everybody out there is writing true crime or things that will instigate something like that, but these people that were writing the bad reviews on La Bella Mafia even took it one step further, and they were stalking Bella, and they were not only doing this bad review campaign, but they also... Uh, Bella and I were on the radio show Vegas Unwrapped, and they were harassing one of the hosts with um, improper emails all throughout the thing until Bella finally <laughs> got on, and she said, look, you don't scare me, just cut it out. <laughs> <You know? laughs> and and uh, we were doing a book signing at the Mob Museum, and they tried to cast aspersion on it by doing a campaign of emailing the mob museum. I mean, some people really get fanatical, and you know what you need to do is you need to have a thick skin on that, and if they are doing things that are actually uh, something where you can retaliate with reporting them to appropriate um, people, you need to do that. So um, here's, here's another thing. You know, I think what we're talking about so far is really solid advice, and you don't need to talk too much about positive reviews because, hey, let's face it, they're positive reviews. Somebody liked your work. <laughs> it's the thing that you need to, to learn about, particularly for new authors, is how to deal with the bad ones. So here's another thing. You know, maybe you need to beef up your setups. Um, here's an example. Let's say a character is tasting sushi for the first time, and all you said is she didn't like it. Well, what does that really tell the reader? You know, the reviewer might cite several instances like this. And if they do, you have to realize that you might have missed a wonderful time to include emotional reactions or thoughts. You know, maybe if it's their first time tasting sushi, it's surprised because they find out they actually like the raw fish. Or it's revulsion if they hate it. And... Um, then you can choose which reaction you want to give your character, and it beefs up the scene, and it makes the person feel more like they're, the reader, feel more like they're in it. And, you know, using this sushi example, not everybody's eaten sushi, but um, it, it's a good example to use. And um, maybe you could remember the first time that you ever had sushi. And if you haven't, and you're writing about it, maybe it's time to take the plunge. Because once you've gone into the restaurant, experienced the ambiance of the restaurant, what the servers are like, the aromas, you know, let's face it, you're a writer. You're supposed to be aware of all these things so you can translate them in your work. Well, if you went into a sushi restaurant and just assimilated all those things, you'd have everything that you needed to create a scene that had a fresh perspective. And if this was your first time, who knows? Maybe you'd even discover a new favorite food as a bonus. <laughs> Very true, Morgan. Uh, now, let's, let's take the same subject just from a little bit different angle. And let's talk about writing a review. Now, recently, Amazon decided to implement a rule that authors can't review other authors' books. Apparently, it's determined by an algorithm, and sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. However, when it does, it blocks that author from posting any reviews following the guidelines to a T. An email comes back 
saying that the review didn't fit their guidelines. We could do a whole show on this weird new Amazon policy. Authors tend to be avid readers, and they make up a large percentage of the reading public. You if know, I'm not going to are... step on your toes, Denny, but this has actually happened to me. Amazon has been rejecting just about every review I send under my writer's account. And I don't know what flagged me, but um, every review follows their guidelines completely. And I've tried being in touch with Amazon and telling them that and to no avail. So I started just this week, I started using my examiner.com uh, column that I write to mm -hmm. switch it around and start posting some reviews. So here's, here's something that's interesting. And yes, you're right that I think most authors are avid readers. I know I read three or four books a week. And I, I usually have two or three going at the same time. One audio book, <laughs> one on my tab three, and a paperback. And my only challenge is keeping all the characters and scenarios straight. But if you find that your reviews are getting declined, um, and on many forums you have to give reviews to get reviews, maybe you need to set up a second Amazon account referring to a different email and do all your reviews under that username. Well, it's a little bit sneaky, but you know what? I took a couple of the reviews that had been rejected and uh, submitted them under a friend's email, and they were live instantly. There wasn't one thing about it not adhering to the guidelines. So whether you're a reader posting a review or an author reviewing someone else's work, here are a few tips that will make it a lot easier to write an informative review. Um, Denny, why don't you start off with this? Okay. First of all, writing a review doesn't have to be an overwhelming task. You really can read for enjoyment and still write the review. I'd suggest having a pencil or pen and sticky notes handy. If it's a digital edition, just have a piece of paper handy to jot down the page number and your notes. Assuming it's a print copy, as you read, if something strikes you as noteworthy, mark it with a sticky note. It's helpful to have two types. The narrow ones, you can just bookmark a section and maybe add one or two word prompt to help you remember why you mark it. And then the standard size. Use the standard size to make notes to yourself detailing something you think you might want to comment on in your review. You know, that's really a good suggestion, Denny. I know I do that when I'm proofing print copies of my own work because then you can pull off all the notes and assemble them for your review. I think Maybe you could do this in one of a couple of ways. Maybe take the larger notes and either make a list from them or just stick them on a large sheet of paper and sort them as you place them on the sheet. And it would probably be very helpful to include the page the note refers to as a reference so you can flip back to it and you know, find why you said that if you don't <laughs> exactly remember it. And that way you could draw comparisons between your notes and what was actually in the book. And then I'd leave those little notes marking the passages in place, but I'd still add their location and significance to the review and process. That's a very good idea, Morgan. And that way you can look for something on one page that might relate to an event or person on another page. It's a good way to see if there are any contradictions. I know this happens sometimes despite the most astute edits. After doing that, I think about what I 
actually want my review to communicate. Did I enjoy, dislike, or feel ambivalent about the book? Why? What were my favorite things, the ones that drew me in or passages that put me off? I'd wrap it up with whether I'd recommend the book and why I would recommend it. Yeah, addition, uh, take, go ahead. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, in addition to taking notes along the way, I think uh, instead of thumbing through the book, trying to put something together after you finish it, use your notes as the outline for your, your review. They'll give you a succinct overview of what you read and felt along the way without giving away surprise endings, pertinent clues, or important arcs in the story that are designed to engage the reader. Yeah, you know, and last but not least, and this is something so many people forget, remember to compliment. If it was so beautifully written, you couldn't wait to share your impression, not only is it fine to say that, but the author will be absolutely delighted. And above all, and this is something Denny and I were talking about a little earlier, please be fair to the author with your critiques. If a negative was based upon a personal preference, the reader has no way of knowing that if you don't say so. You know, let's take the example of, of the woman that I got in touch with that said she didn't like sad books. If she'd simply put that in her review, it would have made a lot of difference. I mean, I'm not saying that, you know, everybody remembers to do that, but instead of just saying, you know, it wasn't my cup of tea, you could say, I really don't like sad books, but... And, and that kind of qualifies it, and it gives it a different tone. Um, if a negative was based on a personal preference, the reader has no way of knowing that, again, if you don't say so. So if you're, tempted, if you're tempted to include derogatory remarks just because you can, and unfortunately some people who post reviews on websites do just exactly that, Think of how you might feel if you were reading the same thing about your own work when you're reviewing somebody else's work. And, um, you know, we're just about out of time, but I have one more little thing that I'd like to interject, um, another one of the bad review stories. Um, the book Confessions of a Cougar is about 90 to 95% true. It's what we call creative nonfiction. And... I think I might have mentioned this in a broadcast before. I was the cougar. It was back in my earlier days. <laughs> and there, people liked the book. But there was one review, obviously from a guy, who just blasted things, something awful. And he concluded one of the things by saying, and I doubt this author, author has ever been to England, because this dealt with three wonderful weeks in England when I was in my 40s. And yeah. um, I've been to England many times, and not only was it based on the memory of places I'd been, I even did the research and went back into each of these places that I mentioned to make sure I had all the details accurate. So this guy was just being snarky. I mean, he, he just really, and, and I mean, he even said uh, one of the characters, a uh, minor character, was a Brit named Randy, and he said, I can't believe that she actually said the man's name was Randy. Well, the guy's name was Randolph, <laughs> and his nickname was Randy. It just so happened he was a bit Randy, but I mean, <laughs> hey, we don't control those things. 
So <laughs> the funny part of it was that elicited a spate of comments from other people saying, oh, this guy was just being nasty and blah, 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 and blah, blah, blah. So sometimes people actually join in on a bad review and defend you. <laughs> That's a nice, so nice Denny, feeling when that happens. Yeah. <laughs> what's that? That's a nice feeling when that happens and people jump to your defense. Yeah, you know, it really was. Um, I have to say, I don't know what happened to Eric James Miller. Um, if we were in L.A., I'd probably say he got stuck in traffic. <laughs> but <laughs> last show, Venice Dude kept referring to being in L.A. when he was actually in Las Vegas. I don't know, but I'm sure he'll be back with us next time. <laughs> <laughs> So we do have fun here, folks. I mean, yeah, we delve into some pretty interesting topics, but that doesn't preclude us having fun with it, right, Denny? Absolutely, Morgan, absolutely. So tell me, or I know where, tell tell our listeners where they can find out more about you and, and maybe a little bit about um, one of your most recent books. Hey, you've got a brag. You've got to brag about one of your books. In fact, it was the book that got the bad review. Why don't you share that? Yes, I, I had some good news uh, from my publisher, Huntington Press. They said that my book, The Battle for Las Vegas, which, as Morgan pointed out, was the was the book that got that bad review uh, early on, um, has been uh, picked up by Hudson News. And uh, they, of course, are the... Uh, distributor for all the newsstands in the airports. So they're a very, uh, a very valuable uh, uh, place to have your books. And um, so we're going into a second edition because they didn't, uh, Hudson didn't like the cover uh, that we've had on it uh, since it was published in 2005, as a matter of fact, or 2006. So uh, we've selected a new cover and the second edition will be out by the end of this month. So I'm, I'm very excited about that. That's fantastic. And let's also share some information about a book that you and I wrote together, which is Bumping Off Fat Vinny. And um, Bumping Off Fat Vinny has been in audiobook production for the last a couple of months. And from what I understand, it will be released by the end of the month, maybe even a little bit sooner. So that's exciting news for us too, right, Denny? It is very exciting news, and I have uh, some other exciting news that I like to put out there before we sign off, and that is uh, that we are finalizing, I mean, the show, Writers Tricks of the Trade Show, an affiliation with Cold Coffee Press. They are a book promotion and author services provider, and we're also going to begin doing author interview segments, and we'll have a lot more information uh, and detail on that for you on our next show. Yeah, we're looking to kick that off in October, and um, it's in formulation now. Um, if you go to if you go to coldcoffeecafe.com, uh, uh, you will find a page about us, or you can go to our Writers Tricks of the Trade Radio .blogspot.com, and we have the guidelines for interviews there as well. Um, you can find me and more information about me at www.morgansaintjames-author.com. And you will also find links to, oh, 
the myriad of blogs that I have. I can't believe how many I have. So instead of trying to reel them all off, there's a page that says blogs. <laughs> and Denny, <laughs> you know, I keep wondering what I'm going to do with those spare five minutes I have every day. I haven't figured it out yet. <laughs> Oh, boy. Where can folks find out more about you, Denny? They can visit www.dennisngriffin.biz. That's dennisngriffin.biz. Okay. So I guess we've come to that time again where we're going to say good night and thank you for listening. And, oh, yes, yes, important thing. We will not be broadcasting uh, the next uh, for the next scheduled show, we are actually taking a hiatus, and it's a good time for you to go to the Writer's Tricks of the Trade Radio blog and look at the show directory, and listen to some of the things that you may have missed. Because remember, every show we do is archived, and if you go to the show directory page on the site you will find direct links to every single one of these valuable shows. And then we will be back again in September. And like Denny said, we'll have more information about our new um, interview platform. We'll have all kinds of exciting things going on. So we'll look forward to seeing you then. Good night, and God bless. Good night, everybody. Good night, Morgan. Good night, Denny. Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up. CarShield has a low-cost, month-to-month vehicle protection plan that covers more parts than ever. Visit carshield.com audio to find out how you could pay almost nothing for covered auto repairs. Drivers who activate this vehicle protection today will also receive free roadside assistance, free towing, and car rental options at no additional cost. Get your free quote today at carshield.com audio. That's carshield.com audio.